morning. Morning. Hey, we're continuing on in our sermon series entitled Building a House of Faith. And we're using that imagery, obviously, because we're going to be expanding our site here in a little bit here at St. Mark, which is very exciting. We're, we're in that place where the architects are finishing up and the contractors are beginning. So as the football season is starting, we talk about handoffs, or pretty soon there's going to be a handoff, so that's very exciting. But I, I guess I bring that up at the beginning here just to show you, because I'm part of all the different meetings and stuff. It, it, just what a miracle this actually is. You know, when we first started looking at the building or, or expanding in any kind of way, we were told $1.1 to $1.7 million before you can even lay a brick. And, and now after a campaign and, 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 and some blessings on some wisdom and working with cities and just some different ways, God has provided a way forward. And it's just so exciting seeing what God still is enabling. We are even the, uh, able to increase the, the amount of the construction budget this last time, which I don't know if that means anything, but it just means we can do more, which is very cool. And so um, just keep on praying, because every time we've hit a kind of a, a dead end, and we brought it to you guys to pray about, God's opened up a door and allowed us to go even further. And so keep praying and, until it's all done. Just keep praying, and then we'll pray for the next one or whatever it is. But it's just very exciting. And so as we talk about prayer today, I, I just want to illustrate at the very beginning the power of what God does. When there's seemingly dead, dead ends in your life, God has a way of, of breaking through those in just incredible ways. You know, this morning, though, I want to talk to you about this idea of prayer and, and how do you connect with God? Because really, he's the ultimate power source, right? And I was trying to think of some imagery to, to help this, and the other night I was trying to plug a plug in the wall. It was only the two-prong or not the three-pronger. Sometimes I get lucky with the three-prongers when it's dark and I can't see, but, but the two-prongers, I very rarely have any luck. And so I was trying, though, and then he started getting worried about getting electrocuted because you're trying to feel where the holes are. And, and so I, I finally just went and got a flashlight and, and plugged it in. You know, I, I got real with myself. I knew I couldn't do it. But sometimes I think when it comes to prayer, we think, or some people think, that there's got to be a secret to praying just right to tap into that power, or at least tap into the answered prayers, right? If we ask just in the right way or approach God in the right way, somehow he becomes like a vending machine and we get what we want. And I use that imagery of the dark trying to plug that thing in because sometimes I think there's got to be an easier way for in the dark when you're trying to, because when do you need to plug it in, a lamp, it, you know, when it's dark? So, so that seems like there'd be an easier way. And I just want you to understand this idea of prayer. And is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Is there something we can do has been a question that's been around for a long time. Even the disciples were asking it. And at least they got this understanding of, of connection with God happens through prayer, through being in his word and in prayer. But they asked Jesus, how is it that we should pray? I mean, is there a right way that we can do it just right so that we get the power, so that we get the answered prayers? And so in Matthew 6, Jesus begins teaching us and the disciples what that way is. You know, and he begins by saying this very simple thing. He, he says, I want you to start by just being real. You know, in Matthew 6, 5, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And the point Jesus is making here is, is, is the prayer isn't something we do to be seen, right? To look spiritual, but rather he's saying just be real. Now I want to kind of give you a way of understanding that a little bit. I, I think every Sunday when we walk through the doors of the church, we struggle to get to a place of realness before God. Right, because we're consumed by schedules, we're consumed by our lives. Maybe some of us were arguing in the car on the way here or frustrated that somebody took our parking spot or, or whatever the deal is, right? We're consumed by life, we're consumed by, oh, we have to put on this certain pretense and God says, no, 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 no. I need you to get real before me. 
And what that means is we've got to get rid of the pretense. We've got to get rid of the masks, the facades. We've got to get rid of the rationalizations, right? The rational lies, the justifications for why we're doing certain things, the excuses for why we're doing certain things. We need to get to a place where we come before God and we're just, we're just us, right? The good, bad, and the ugly, like that old movie, right? We're just... And there's all of us have the good and the bad and the ugly and that we need to bring before God to be healed from it. And I think we struggle getting there every time we come into worship. This idea of becoming real, and so we try to do different things to help you get from your worldly life or from everything that's going on to kind of shedding that more and more as you go through service so that you can just be before God in here, right? The whole idea of the opening worship you know, set or whatever, or the opening hymn in the first service is to get you from the world to the foot of Jesus. To open up your ears, to open up your heart so that when he talks, man, something's getting through. Because you've all been in a service where it's been hard to get real and you've said the Lord's Prayer or you've sang a song and you don't even know what you just sang. You don't even remember saying, did we say the Lord's Prayer? I, you know, I don't, you've gone through the motions, but nothing got through. And so one of the first things that God says, whether it be prayer or worship or whatever, is, Come before me and try. That's your part of worship, to try to get real before him, to become vulnerable before him. And so we don't go out and we don't try to impress other people with our prayers or to appear more spiritual. What I was doing campus ministry at the University of Florida, we had two guys in my group. They're awesome guys, but they competed in prayers. I mean, out of all the things you can compete with, right, but they competed in everything, basketball, football, I mean, you name it. They were just, you know, natural rivals. And so when we come around the circle, they each do these long, eloquent prayers. And some of them didn't even make any sense, but they wanted to use church phrases in them, right, and sound spiritual. And what was interesting about one of the guys is he came to me one time and he said, Pastor, I'm just not, I'm not getting much out of my prayer life. You know, which if you, if you know how much they competed before everybody, he, they would have taken some heat if they said it in front of people. But they said it, he said it to me. And I said, you know, part of this because you're, you're praying for other people, right? You're trying to, to beat your buddy. You're trying to, to impress others, prayer is really about connecting to God. And so it's a place where you just become vulnerable, where you just pray from what's inside, not from up here always. And, and for whatever reason, that worked, and it changed the way he prayed. He stopped competing, and he, he started just saying more real stuff that didn't always go together well, but it, it was from his heart, and it, it transformed the way he looked at God, which is really cool. And so God's whole thing is, let's get real. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where somebody, you've been listening to prayers and somebody pray, prays and you think, wow, that was incredible. I have a buddy like that in Texas, man. He can pray. And it's like, you want to get a pencil out and write it down because it's so beautiful and it's eloquent and it comes from the heart and it's just amazing. And what you don't want to be is the guy who's after him in prayer because all of a sudden there's a big difference, you know. And, but you've been there too, right? You've been praying around, you know, three more till me. Two, two more, two, one, one more. What am I going to say? Now it's my turn. You're freaked out. You're sweating. You don't know what. I just got to say something. And, and you start asking, what's, you know, what can I say that's not already been said? And, and you ask this question. I promise you, you do. If you start stressing out about it, what are they going to think about me? And, and you've lost sight of the whole purpose of prayer. You've put it on you instead of on your connection with God. And what Jesus comes to us and he says is, you know, it's not about you. It's, you know, Jesus says the moment you stop worrying about other people and what they think about you or your prayer life is the moment that you're going to be released to enjoy prayer like you've never enjoyed it before. In other words, he's just saying we've got to get to a place where we stop trying to impress everybody else in our life, where we stop projecting, where we stop pretending, where it's just us. He says, I want you to be real. I want you to be who you are, the way I created you 
Because he already knows everything that's going on. And he wants a real relationship. Anybody have one? Especially they say Jet Xers and, and down, we, we have like a filter for, or for a facade, for fakeness, right? And, and we, can, we can smell it a mile away. Have any of you ever had a teacher that seemed to be fake? Or, 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 or somebody that you met in a business meeting? Or somebody that you met at church sometimes? Where they said a bunch of stuff and they, but they just, you could tell they weren't being real with you. It's hard to get to know those people, isn't it? It's hard to to get past the facade so that it's really real. But he says, that's what I want you to be. And he goes on a little bit to show us exactly how to do this, what this actually might look like if we began praying. And he begins to teach us. And the number one thing he says we ought to do, the first thing we ought to pray for when we come to him in prayer is we need to begin with praise. You know, again, that's why we begin with those praise sets or those that praise him at the beginning because this is where we give God our love. This is where we transform from the world to sitting at the foot of Jesus. In verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Hallowed is talking about praise. You start by praising God. This is how you should begin your prayers. And you start asking, I know some, some do, why should I praise God? I mean, look at my life, it's a mess. And the answer to that is you praise God because of what Jesus has done already. The fact that he, he died and he, he rose again so that you can be forgiven. The fact that if you go to him in Jesus' name, that God hears your prayers and answers but it's not just for what Jesus has done. It's also for what he continues to do in your life. It's a perspective giver. You know, I, I've, if you look at the Bible, it could be somebody's diary, and they keep down writing everything down that God's done in the past so that you can remember it in the future. If you guys ever did prayer journals, and I encourage them from time to time, write, you write down everything that God does, every answered prayer. I guarantee you that if you were going to go through a future thing that was really hard, you could look back in this prayer journal and you say, man, God was there for me then. And God answered this, or he healed this, or he overcame that, or he resolved this, or he got me through this. And, and over and over in your life, you'd be looking back at how God had come through. And would give you confidence to face that new thing differently, with more confidence, with more trust. It also says here that our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. The Bible says that, that a lot about the different names of God. It's one of the cool things, especially in the Old Testament, the different names that, that, that they call God. And each one give a, a descriptive or a description of his personality and who he is for us. And by using the different names, the Bible reveals the character of God to us in ways that we can understand him greater and more than we can if we just keep saying our Father. Each name has a different meaning. And so when you say, hallowed be your name, right? It means to pray the different names of God. And if you ever wanted to do this, and you can find different resources that give you the different names of God, but it's cool to say the Lord's Prayer using those different names. And so instead of always doing our Father, you could say, you know, our healer, or our provider, or our peace, or our shepherd, or our forgiver. Holy is your name. It just means to, to pray the different names of God and adds power and understanding to your prayers. And we do that to remind ourselves, right? of what God has promised, that he's promised to take care of us, to take care of all of our needs, to remind us of, of who he is, to remind us of what he's done for us, to remind us maybe even most importantly, ourselves of who it is that we're talking to. And I think this is a big thing in the, our me generation, right? We're completely focused on selves, and so this idea of becoming real, this idea of making it about something that's not entirely us at the beginning is hard. But I think we forget that because I think we approach God maybe way too often like a vending machine. We don't give it respect, we don't give it honor. We just treat it like it's a nothing that needs to kind of answer our request because that's all we, we talk to him about. 
And so part of it's just reminding ourselves of who it is that we're talking to, that he's our father in heaven, but I guarantee you the, the perfect father you, you talk to with respect like you would your own dad. And then he says you pray for purpose too as he goes on and talking about this prayer. And this is where I give God my life. See, the second part of prayer is committing ourselves to God's will. Notice it says here, Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this just means that you give God your life. You recognize that God has a will for your life, that God has an amazing plan for your life. And success has always been about knowing the will of God and getting right in the center of it. And I promise you always the will of God has something about sharing Jesus with people so that there's more people in heaven, right? And that can be through your actions, doing right instead of wrong. It can be through your care for people and that you care when other people don't. It can be through sharing the name of Jesus that they might actually get to know him. But part of prayer is saying, God, what is your will for me today? And getting to that place where you actually want that for your life. I want to know your will. I want to do your will. Because I recognize more and more, God, that life's got to be about more than just me. It's got to be about you. Because the problem is, is God's will is not always done in this life. And can we just agree with that statement right there as you look around the world today? I say that because I hear way too often people saying, well, just God's will. My wife left me, you know, and cheated on me and left that person, and, but that m must be God's will. Or this horrible thing happened over, m must be God's will. My kid got run over by a drunk driver, must be God's will, you know. But all the way through Scripture, God says that he hates sin, which is rebellion against God. He hates evil, Right? He came to overcome evil, the devil, the world, right? And so over and over, God says this evil in the world is not my desire, is not my will, is not my plan. It's a rebellion against my plan, my will, my desire. And so we've got to stop blaming God for stuff that isn't his fault. Now, having said that, can God work amazing things out of some of the really bad things in our life, some of the evil in our life? Absolutely. God is an expert at, at raising roses out of manure. And sometimes our life becomes like the manure pile. It's hard, it's stinky, it's, it's horrible. We don't want to be, be in that place. And yet God has this ability to, to give us new births, new beginnings, fresh starts. But as we walk through life, we have to have that understanding. Otherwise, we start blaming God for, for all the ills in our life that, that aren't his desire or plan. Sometimes we just got to look at some of our decisions and we can see why we're over here. Sometimes we can see the hurt or the pain other people have caused us and understand that's why we're here. But let's stop pretending that everything is God's will. And that's why we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because in heaven, God's will is done perfectly. It's on earth that it's not done perfectly. We're saying, God, what's happening in heaven, that's what I want you to do in my life. And so we're saying that I want you to change me a little bit so I act more and more like you I want you to give me compassion so that when people don't act like you, I can not hate their guts, right, or, or, or not treat them the same. I, I want you to change me. I want you to change my situations more and more. So we pray thy will be done. And then you have, and then when you've done those two things, you've given God your love and you've given God your life, Jesus says there's now four other requests that you can pray that categorize really every other need you're going to have in life. Kind of reminds us at the end of when Jesus talks about worry in Matthew 6, he says, now seek first the kingdom of God, right? And all these other things will be added unto you as well. And so you give God your love and you give God your life. He says, now you can pray for all this other stuff and I'm going to hear you. And so he says this, you can pray for, for provision. And that's where we can give God all of our worries, right? In verse 11, it says, give us this day our daily bread. 
And bread represents really all the necessities of life, the physical needs, the material needs. And God says, I want you to pray for these things instead of worrying so much about them. See, ultimately, there's two alternatives in life. You can worry or you can pray. You can have panic, stress, anxiety, or you can pray. And Jesus just says, I want you to give me all of your worries because I care about you because I came to bring you peace. And that means everything, right? Every possible thing you can think of. And because of that, I'd be kind of embarrassed, you know, to get up and share with you all the things I've prayed about in my life before God. Because some of them are silly or some of them don't seem like they're that big a thing and why would you even pray about it? And some of them just, you know, are somewhat crazy or whatever. But I pray them, you know. And, but I'll tell you who wouldn't be embarrassed and that's God. Because he says, I want you to bring me everything. So do you have an ingrown ho- toenail? Pray about it, right? Do you have a, a huge decision that you need to make this week? Pray about it. God says if there's anything worth worrying about in your life, it's worth praying about. In fact, I've said this a lot, but if we'd pray as much as we worry, we'd have a whole lot less to worry about. Then he goes on and says we can pray, too, for pardon. This is where we give God our guilt. It says forgive us our debts as we go through that prayer, right? And the reality is that all of us have regrets. All of us do. There's all, every one of us has things we wish we would have done differently in the past, things we wish we wouldn't have said, things we wish we wouldn't have done. See, all of us make mistakes, all of us fall short, all of us are sinners, and we don't like the word sinners, but the reality is that describes our state before God. And most of the time, it's not real hard for me as a result of all that to admit that I'm not perfect because I messed up just like everybody else is. You know, a few years ago, I was listening on the radio to one of those so-called psychologists that does those talk shows, and there was a guy that called in and he was consumed with guilt in his life. You, you could hear it from his, what he was saying. He was just devastated by what was going on. And he was pouring his heart out to this doctor, and he said this, Doctor, I want to know, how can I get rid of my guilt? And the talk show psychologist said, you know what, you can't. You just got to learn to live with it. And I remember I was driving, I was thinking in my head, I, give me that guy's number, you know. What you said is not true. Guy, give me this guy's number because this guy is lying to you. There's a way to go through life without guilt. In fact, there's a way to leave here today and not be burdened by guilt anymore. And I know it, it seems counterintuitive, right? As good Christians, shouldn't we keep punishing ourselves when we do something wrong? I mean, you know, that's the, the good Lutheran guilt, Catholic guilt, whatever one you, Baptists call Baptist guilt, you know, all those different things. But the reality is God's, that's why Jesus died, so that we don't have to do that, Right? So that when we bring our stuff to him, our sins to him, we say, I'm sorry, and he says, I forgive you, then it's done. At that point, we should be filled with joy then, right? Because we don't have to keep beating ourselves up anymore. We can say, thank you so much for forgiving me. I didn't deserve it. He says, I know, but I love you. You're forgiven. Go now and sin no more. So we can go from this place and not have guilt anymore because God has made a provision for that. It's called confession. You don't repress it. You don't suppress it. You just confess it, right? And that's how you get rid of guilt. God says, I will cleanse you. He forgives us instantly and totally and completely and freely and even continuously. He says one of the benefits of prayer is that you can unload your guilt, that you don't have to walk around with it anymore because of Jesus. Why? Because he died and because he rose again. And so I give God my guilt. Why? Because he wants to forgive us. It's why he sent us Jesus. And he says that over and over in the pages of Scripture, 
And so when you come to God and you confess your sins to him, you don't have to beg God and you don't have to plead with God and you don't have to bargain with God and you don't have to bribe God. You simply have to believe, you have to trust that because of Jesus that he takes away those sins in your life, that you're forgiven, that you don't have to keep beating yourself up. And all of you, if you if I, I guarantee you, I could just ask you to think back in over this last month and think about something you did that you had to go to God to ask for forgiveness more than once for. Why did you go the second time? Because we doubted the forgiveness the first time, because we like beating ourselves up. God says, just come once and be freed. So I give God my worries and I give God my guilt. In fact, if you ever run out of things to pray for in prayer time, all you need to do is get specific about your sins and your weaknesses. I've discovered personally that when I do that, I never run out of stuff and I always have new material you know, added to the pile, right? There's plenty of things to talk about in my life and in yours that we need to change. And that's why we bring him our guilt so we don't have to walk around with it. And then he goes, we pray for people. And specifically what I mean by that is this is where I give God my hurts because people are complicated and they often hurt us in this life. And so prayer involves other people and our relationship with them because relationships are important. And so he says this, forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, as, and I don't like that he uses this word as, but he does, as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's a condition then. I share that because in life you're going to be hurt. It's just going to happen, either intentionally or unintentionally. Because people have free will, right? God's given it to them and to us. And so we get hurt, and we hurt other people. And it's how you handle that hurt that determines your happiness in life. When you bottle up your hurt, and when you don't deal with it, you hold on to it, it's called resentment, and there's not much happiness there. And I promise you that if you're doing that, it will poison your life. And so for your own happiness, you must learn to forgive. In verse 14, and we don't often share this at the end of the Lord's Prayer, but it's in the Bible. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then it says, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. And and I just share that because I I know some people need to hear that this morning. We struggle with forgiveness. We struggle with the hurts of the past. We struggle with letting people go. But he's saying that if you don't forgive other people, then you're burning the bridge that you've got to cross to get to heaven. You know, somebody went to John Wesley one time. He's the founder of the Methodist Church. And he said, you know, I just can't forgive that person. They hurt me too badly. And, and John Wesley said, he says, well, then I hope you never sin. I was confused. And so he went on. He says, the Bible says, forgive and be forgiven, that they're interrelated. And so for your own sake, for heaven's sake, let go of the past. And so if somebody has hurt you, you've got to let go of it. You've got to let go of the resentment. You've got to forgive. Because in so doing, it releases you too. In fact, you're paying the greater burden of holding on to that sin because you're the one who keeps rehearsing it over and over. You've got to release them so that God can release you. But it also, just understand, when you forgive, it takes a burden off your plate as well. Forgiveness is the only way I know to get rid of the past. So God says, forgive them and let it go because it will be then that you are released to get on with the rest of your life. And then he gives us this last one. He says, pray for protection. It's a big one today for the world is evil, right? And this is where I give God my fears, my temptations, all of us. If we watch the news or stock market or whatever you're watching, we get the fears and there's temptation. So it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's protection in that. See, the Bible says that Jesus experienced all the temptations common to man. And I love that because 
you know, you think about Jesus, you think about this perfect being, and man, and you know he was part God, so you just kind of think he floated through life here, you know, but it says that he experienced all the temptations common to man, and what that actually means is this, that Satan pulled out all the stops when it came to Jesus. There's nobody he wanted to fail more, to sin more, to stumble more than Jesus. It's why he had that time in the desert. It's why he continued to try to trip Jesus up all the way along the way. If he had any greater temptations, he would have tried them out. He would have used them on Jesus. And so you can know that Jesus experienced the greatest temptations ever, and yet he still didn't give in. The Bible says then, when I come to him and pray, and I say, God, I'm struggling in this area. I'm not making it here. I, I'm not succeeding. I keep stumbling. I keep falling. The Bible says that God understands because Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be single, right, and to deal with those kind of temptation. He knows what it's like to be depressed, to be angry, to lash back, to be misunderstood, to be lonely, to want to get even. He understands it all, every temptation. And not only does he understand, but because of everything he wins, went through, he wants us to overcome those things in our life so that they don't trip us up. To overcome the, the temptations in our life. To overcome the fears in our life. Why? So that we don't ever have to fear again. It's interesting, but all the way through this prayer, do you notice what Jesus is saying? He's saying that the prayer is the antidote to the foremost damaging emotions that we have in life. He says, give God your love, give God your life, and then he says, give him your worries and your guilt and your resentment and your fears. And not only can you just give them to him, then he says, he'll take care of them. Remember when you were a kid? went to dad or mom or whatever and you had a problem you gave it to them and you just you just gave it to them you knew that they would deal with it right and they made it all better and you could go and sleep or you could go and on with your life and you just didn't worry about it anymore because dad's got it or mom's got it god says i want you to look at me in that way because that's what prayer is all about it's about unloading all the hard stuff on god you know, I was in my house, we pray a lot about bad dreams, right? And, and God's power over bad dreams to take them away. And my five-year-old and I last night were having a talk, and she's like, well, how do you know that God can just take them away? And I said, because he says he can. You say, in Jesus' name, take me gone, and he has to leave. She goes, but I prayed that, and sometimes I have to pray it over and over before he goes. And I said, well, then does he go? And he goes, well, yeah. And the dreams go away. I said, well, good. She goes, but I want it to happen faster. And I said, well, okay. When you go into our room and sleep on the floor because of a bad dream, do the dreams go away instantly? She goes, yeah. I go, why? Well, because I trust that it's safe there. I said, why? Well, because you and mom are there. He, God says, I'll take it away. And I said, then it's about trusting in the same way you trust mom and dad's room, because of mom and dad, trusting God in that same way where you just know he'll take it away. Why? Because we act and what it is that we trust. See, doubt complicates our life so much, but God calls us to trust him, to forgive, to strengthen, to take away the scaries, right? To overcome, to reconcile, to give hope. Ultimately, not only does prayer make your life easier, but it also is what infuses us with the power of God, right? The power to deal with our everyday struggles because it's there that we're connected to Jesus, and when we're connected to Jesus, maybe for the first time in a while or maybe anew, we begin to realize just how much we're loved and forgiven by an amazing God. God is good. And all God's people said, amen.